Well, welcome to the program today. This is Tom Curran, and I am joined by Sister Mary Eucharista and her boss, not Jesus, <laughs> but her earthly boss, Rick McLean, the executive director of the Immaculate Heart Retreat Center, where Sister Mary Eucharista enacts many events and oversees programs and, and retreats and, and does spiritual direction and many other things to radiate the light of Christ. And uh, it's just great to have you both on the program today. Thank you so much, Tom. Now, Sister Eucharist, I think, do you feel like like we're being watched now that Rick is here in this interview? Um, not at all. I feel pretty comfortable because he's just a nice guy, and I enjoy having uh, him on board while we're doing this wonderful uh, ministry with you today. Yeah, yeah. And Rick, it's interesting. Uh, so you and I have interacted through the years uh, in, so, uh, in different hats that you've had. Uh, because on the one hand, you're helping people to grow in faith as the executive director of the Immaculate Heart Retreat Center, but you also have a lead role at Holy Cross Cemetery uh, and the overseeing cemetery services here in the Diocese of Spokane. So I'm like, are you helping people uh, arrive at death or come to new life? And the answer <laughs> is yes. 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 Yeah. Right? Yeah. Life out of death, life through death, right? Ministry first, ministry always. That's what we say. Oh, I like that. I'm going to steal that and make pretend I made it up. So <laughs> they're, they're just going to say you're part of the, the cemetery project, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so oh, what's really interesting was last night I, when I was praying. Uh, by the way, doesn't that make me sound holy when I was praying? Oh. <laughs> you are holy. When I was thinking, when I was reflecting, I, I was reading. Uh, I was reading something in the scriptures and it, it talked about um, like how short life is. And I thought to myself, wow, I probably only have about another 20 years on this earth. That's not a lot of time. And I, I'm not going to have like all the, I mean, I've got energy now, but it's already diminishing. And isn't this a great, helpful program? I'm so excited. <laughs> this is like exactly the message of Easter and new life. But it really got me pausing to say, what do I want to do with the time that remains? What do I want to, to focus on in the, in the life that I have? I don't have control over the big sway of things happening in the world. I don't have control over these big major movements happening uh, in this country or in our state. I don't even have control over what's happening in my kids' lives. I, but what I do have control over is how am I going to live today? How am I going to, what am I going to pay attention to today? And to do that well, I better be thinking about where is all of this headed? What's, what's all of this about? And that points me to heaven. That points me to my ultimate home and to what life in heaven will involve, which if you read the scriptures and the saints, it involves praise and worship. And so today we're here to talk about praise and worship on earth, because on earth as it is in heaven. So sister and uh, Rick, uh, the two of you, you're I think you're you're close to the same boat that I'm in. I, I'm I'm probably the oldest of the three of us here, but we're we're probably in in the same the same little tranche of age. And are my reflections odd? Or here you are, you're dealing with folks in the cemetery and at the retreat center. Uh, are these kind of thoughts common for the folks that uh, come into contact with the retreat center? You know, Tom. I as I hear you, I'm just like, what's wrong with that? Uh, you're not being morbid, you're being truthful. I think that our culture does not allow us to think in these terms because it's like, oh, don't get yourself down. It's not about getting yourself down. It's the truth. I mean, what does scripture say? 70 years and 80 for those who, you know, are strong. And nowadays, of course, it's more like 80 and 90 for those who are strong. It, it shouldn't be, uh, intimidating or morbid to think of going to our eternal reward because that's all that we are mainly concerned about is to spread the good news about that eternal reward and i feel i mean 
uh, Rick being involved in cemeteries, he had a huge event in the past few weeks where his father passed away and he got to help him along, midwife him, if you will, into eternal life, as I also got to do with both of my parents. And I just think that this is the natural course of earth. Um, even when I talk to atheists, I mean, atheists who have a profound atheistic perspective, they say, it's silly to think we're going to live here forever, you know? And I'm like, wow, even, even you think that. And, you know, usually if an atheist is going to go with a casket, you know, and a full burial, he's all dressed up with no place to go, really. I mean, in one sense, but in another, uh, he's truly going to meet life on the other side. And that's the part we're all preparing for. We're going into life, life to life. And this is the story of the resurrection. It's the paschal mystery of the suffering of this life into the eternal joys uh, forever and bring as many people as you can with you. In fact, the whole world, because Jesus died for them all. Sorry, I kind of took over there. No, Rick, that's beautiful, sister. That's, that's really powerful. Um, Rick, so sister uh, highlighted a, a, a very poignant aspect in your own life recently uh, is there anything that you'd want to share about that in the light of the this you know this theme that we're discussing right now well the 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 one saying that live as though you are dying and i i was so blessed to have my father and i have to tell you that if you had one day left how would you spend it and my father knew he was dying. He was a very devout Catholic, prayed the rosary every morning at 4.30, lived his whole life for God. And my father knew he was passing away on Friday night. This was a few weeks ago. He said, told my sister, get everybody there. All my nieces, nephews, siblings, all of us sat around him. We prayed the rosary, the divine mercy. Uh, father Jeff Lewis came and did last rites. He said goodbye. He wasn't in any pain. Said goodbye to loved everyone. My, he would have been 95. Just as well, he was on May 11th. He would have been 95. And um, he, my mother was there, who's still alive. And then he was getting tired, went to bed, and died in my mom's arms at 4:30. And I think to myself, that was a hero's death that God granted him the grace. And it was, I think, because of his intercession with Saint Joseph. And the whole service was such a blessing between the rosary with the bishop and Father Connell doing the mass and then the committal service. And I think to be able to, to understand that death is a part of life and that Jesus taught us the way. Jesus was laid in a tomb. People were coming to visit him after. And it's just a beautiful thing. We shouldn't, as, we shouldn't fear death. We should embrace it because as St. Paul says, oh, death, where is your sting? And uh, and I think the the combination for between death and the retreat center is the retreat center helps us prepare for a happy death, prepare our souls to meet the Lord. And that's why I've been so blessed to be able to be here for the last seven months or so is just to be able to see how people come in. And you see them come in with their worries and struggles of the day. And then all of a sudden, after a couple of days at a retreat, you see a different light in them because they've refocused back to Christ instead of the world. And so it's just a great combination. You know, I want to um, I want to bring up a quote from Augustine. Uh, I'll, I'll call it a paraphrase because I can't give you the exact wording. But he made the distinction between our lives and Adam and Eve before the fall. And he did so in the light of the concept of death. And he was talking about hope. And, and this is what he said. He said that Adam and Eve had the possibility of not dying. That being in the you know state of grace and this uh, original uh, state that death was not part of God's plan. They had the possibility of not dying. But he said, after the fall, he said, there is only one hopeless condition, a condition without hope for those of us who live on earth. And that is being in a condition where it is impossible to die. I want you to hear that again out loud. He said, the only hopeless condition is of being unable to die. 
And it's such a an irony or a contrast with people who look at death as a threat. And it's, if only I could live longer. And Augustine is like, no, you want to get out. You need to get out of this fallen world. <laughs> he said, the, the only hopeless situation would be being stuck in a fallen world. Who would want to live in a fallen world forever? So it's such a different perspective when you when you have the lens of the Paschal mystery. And the Paschal mystery, again, is what's the passion, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus into heaven. It's Jesus descending and then ascending and ascending with us, taking us through death to life, showing us what uh, life ultimately is going to look like when we are found in him, when we have faith, hope, and love that intimately links us to him. That that hope is not that we get to avoid death. No, thanks be to God, we get to die. But we get to die with him because we already know the outcome. We will share in life eternal. Isn't that a profound quote from Augustine? Yes. In fact, that was why God had assigned the cherubim at the Garden of Eden so that uh, Adam and Eve could not return and eat the fruit of the tree of life because if they did, they would have lived and would have had no hope, and God wanted them to have hope. Isn't it, isn't it fascinating? Because we have so many people here who are trying to like, I want to live forever on earth. I want to live forever. And they keep meaning on earth, on earth, on earth. And it's like, really? You do realize that, the, isn't it true, sister? The older you get, the holier you get. It's guaranteed. It's automatic. Uh -huh. you know? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I think maturity naturally can happen through that. And of course, wisdom has to occur through experience on, for the most part. And uh, I, I remember as a small child looking outside in Southern California and seeing the beauty. I mean, we had peach trees and we had, you know, flowers and all these wonderful gravel walks and everything in our backyard. We were in an upper end uh, neighborhood and we really loved where we were. But I remember saying to my mom, mom, I don't want to die. I want to live forever. And she said, yeah, I know, honey, um, we all sometimes want to live forever in our lives but you know we have to die and i said but i don't want to die and she said i don't want to die either and she said um well i said what are we going to do mom and she said maybe we can all hold hands and die together and i was kind of thinking of like red rover red rover we're all <laughs> going to hold hands and die together because i was only four but later i realized that my mother's passing and my father's passing we were holding their hands and they died with us. And dad died first. And five years later, mom died. And we were holding their hands and their feet and, you know, their heads. And we were all touching. And we held hands and died together. And isn't that a kind of life just to know that you can hold hands and die together? Not like Red Rover, but like, you know, together as a family. Well, it makes me think of uh, the patron saint of a happy death, right? St. Joseph where he's got the blessed mother on the one side and, and the son of God on the other side. Hey, if you got to go, you want to, yeah, let's go. You're holding hands. I know. Yeah. You get to got washed right through the doorway of death. I, oh. I just, I love that idea of somehow allowing the light of heaven to invade our life on earth. That what gives us hope is not blind faith. So a lot of folks talk about faith as if it is not seeing. And uh, and yet our church, when our church theologizes about faith, it doesn't use the word blind and dark. It uses the word light. There's the light of faith. And that light is the, the life of heaven, the, the life of divinity. It's God's own divine life that emerges in our consciousness that we come to experience and encounter through baptism and the other sacraments. The very life of God grants us a, a share in, a participation in, even if it's just a foretaste, in what it means to be a child of God that has already conquered death here and now. And, and that's what we, that's our inheritance. That's the inheritance we have. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. 
I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. What I want to talk to the two of you about now is ways in which we allow the life of heaven to become manifest here on earth, to foster and to deepen this sense of hope, expectancy, and even joy at the thought of going home to God. You know what another phrase is for going home to God? Dying, right? <laughs> yeah. So if you talk about dying, death, and burial ground, that's one thing. If you talk about going home to God, then that's joy, expectation, yeehaw, let's go. But we won't have that unless we have these moments where we have intimate contact. We get a foretaste. We get to share in the life of heaven on earth. And in my own life, having events like evenings of praise and worship, being part of uh, prayer groups and prayer meetings where there is boisterous, joyful praise and worship, it conveys God's glory. It, it, it manifests God's glory. It, uh, it gives us a, a taste in God's glory that, that can foster that longing for heaven. That, that's been my experience. What about you, Sister Enric? Oh, my goodness. You're so correct. This is something that, uh, you know, I mean, it's as akin outside of Mass and adoration, which is an extension of the Mass, Praise and worship is a very potent, and outside of, of course, all the sacraments, it's a very potent way for us to understand our relationship with God. Oftentimes, you know, praise and worship music and time together um, doesn't always have a good name in more traditional circles of Catholicism. And it's a shame. The first time I ever went to a praise and worship event was uh, in a charismatic um, mass. And I was so, of course, when we first came into full communion, the sisters, we were so open to whatever the Lord was inviting us into. And I know we had a special gift of the Holy Spirit at that time. And it continues throughout our lives as sisters of Mary, mother of the church. But um, this wonderful event of this singing, I realized scripture was coming alive for me in a way it never had before. I mean, it was alive anyway, but, and during the mass, you know, we experience the Paschal mystery and all it's, it's, it's all the realms of it. And we even are in participation with those who have passed before us and those who have not yet even come to the earth. And, uh, and so much more can be said about that, but I'll leave that to people who want to read the great book by Abbott um, uh, from Mount Angel. He's the superior of Mount Angel, Abby. And anyway, it's called What Happens at Mass. And there's just such, you talked praise and glory, and it's so potent during Mass and adoration. But when we get together and we sing and we hear music and there's quiet times. And then there's this, you know, this, this, uh, this gentleness that comes over us and then an exuberance, like you said, and it doesn't mean we have to be, you know, speaking in the spirit or anything like that. We're just lifting our hands and we're doing as God asks us in scripture to sing, to shout and praise to the Lord. We don't have to shout. And I've never heard shouting at it, you know, <laughs> We praise you, Lord. That's about as far as it would go. But um, it's just, it's not even, it doesn't even have to be that exuberant. Something gentle and beautiful. But this is something Rick had as a dream to bring to Immaculate Heart Retreat Center to have um, his friend go ahead. So uh, on June 2nd, uh, we're having a praise and worship night with Ron Larson. And I met Ron uh, in my former life when I had a dealership. Uh, he was, he worked with me. 
and he was a music minister um, for a big church in Chicago, and he ended up coming to work, and then he went back into music ministry. He has made a CD like 30 years ago or something, and I have to tell you that I listened to that CD probably uh, over 100 times, and his voice and his demeanor, um, you're going to believe that he's connected to God when he's singing and he's going to move you in ways that you can't be moved just in prayer or, or uh, reading scripture or that kind of thing. And like me being a devout Catholic, I can tell you that the mystical experience of the Eucharist is by far the summit of my faith. I've gone back after receiving the Eucharist, I've knelt down tears. We've all had those mystical experiences in the Eucharist. But I'm kind of a weird Catholic, too, because I'll go to Victory Faith or Praise and Worship Nights and um, when they're singing. And I also have a, a connection with God in a different way. Mm-hmm. It's almost like going to movie with your spouse versus uh, intimacy with your spouse, so to speak, in the, in the ways of the church with the bridegroom. Yeah, it's yeah. it's funny, Rick. I uh, it, you mentioned that uh, the idea of complementing, not replacing, not competing, but complementing the source, summit, and center of our faith, the Mass, um, which is the center of how we worship the Lord and and experience His coming near to us as Eucharist. Um, all of the richness of that, but being able to complement that by um, attending. Uh, churches that focus on praise and worship to help stir a, a deeper devotion, uh, to create a, a disposition and openness to be worshiping the Lord at Mass. I know that that's something that Carrie and I have done in our own family's life quite a bit, especially when we've been part of parishes that you know, people call them dead, right? You just, when you walk in, it's the frozen chosen, right? And and it just, it's like, <laughs> does anybody really want to be here and all this sort of stuff? And it, it's like, okay, we, we're going to be here and because we want to be here. We're choosing to be here. We're here to worship the Lord, but we have to, you know, we have to do more to help stir the faith of our kids on Sunday morning. So that's something that we started years ago with our kids. And it's something that Carrie does even until today. Um, where we will, uh, on a Sunday morning, she'll get up and she'll go to a praise and worship church to just stir her faith, and she'll bring a couple kids with her, and then we'll meet at Mass afterwards. Um, and it's part of her own sense of, I want my kids to have the experience of praise and worship. Now, that might sound odd. It might sound like, what? What are you talking about? And yet, I pray the Liturgy of the Hours every morning, and what's the invitatory psalm? You know, oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall proclaim your praise. praise. And then what's the Psalm 95? Come, let us sing to the Lord. And what's the word, sister? Shout with joy to the rock. Shout who with saves joy us. to the rock who saves us. Let us approach him with what? Praise and thanksgiving. And, thanksgiving. and sing what? Joyful songs to him. Joyful <laughs> songs to the Lord. Let's Go, right? I mean, this is something the church prays every single day. Every bishop, every priest, every deacon, every religious sister, brother, uh, third order folks who are committed to the liturgy of the hours, and anyone else who is committed to the divine office, you're going to bump up against in the very opening words of the opening psalm that is the standard that you pray it's saying, shout, sing, joyful, worship, praise. And we talk about praise as if it's weird and it's not Catholic and it's it's foreign and it's not something that we should seek to foster. Oh, I'm kind of stirred up, Sister Mary Eucharista. I, I am too, you know, and Tom, I am so delighted. I have friends who have left the Catholic Church and gone to Bible churches because they say to me, The word comes alive. And then when they're ready to hear it, I'll always kind of toss in, oh, you know, I I hear you. This is so important. I I just wish for your sake that you could also have the Eucharistic bread of life so that you will have both sides of this. And I do wish that 
there were some way that we wouldn't have to go to another church to get that glorious experience of having the word of God put into song. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Life Center, but I've been invited down many times to, with my pastor Joe, to come and um, not only be with his people, but also to know his staff better. And in fact, I'm giving a sermon on uh, July 30th for Heights Church, which is one of the churches that uh, the Life Center planted. And I try to keep a relationship with people who are interested in knowing what is it that Catholics do anyway? Can we hear it from a Catholic? And when I tell them, as I did when I, I, I mentioned to the Nazarene uh, pastors when they all came on retreat one time, they had me give them a retreat and I explained the Mass and they said, we have never heard of the Mass being explained like that. And, and then they all look at each other and kind of chuckled like, well, we never had Sister Eucharista explaining the Mass to us before. <laughs> but I said, yeah, look at my name. I mean, you're going to get the story here. And, um, you know, I can go around to all your seminaries if you want and explain what the mass is. Maybe this and they all laughed and clapped me on the shoulder. Sister, sister. Now, let's not get carried away. (laughs) But, you know, I just think that there is so much people don't know. And we allow ourselves to be um, to kind of enable a type of sterile, um, soundless or very monotone understanding of the word and that's not the word is living of course chant will bring it forward of course the mass will add the fire and life and most especially it will and our hymns will but for some reason that praise and worship gets in there and stirs us in a way that nothing else can and come on tom nothing can stir us but the holy spirit yeah, amen. Amen. That's Sister Mary Eucharista joining me today along with Rick McLean. Rick is the executive director of the Immaculate Heart Retreat Center. If you're watching this as a video interview, you'll see the website ihrc.net. That's Immaculate Heart Retreat Center.net right there. And uh, there are a variety of events happening at this retreat center, which is in Spokane. And right on that events tab, if you click it, you'll see a number of events that happen here, including this evening of praise and worship with Ron Larson coming up on Friday, June the 2nd, 6.30 to 8.30 in the evening. And so that's ihrc.net and you can click on events. I'm with, uh, again, Rick and Sister Mary Eucharista. Sisters, uh, she's a spiritual director there. She leads events herself and oversees programs and uh, and is becoming a delightful regular uh, on Sound Insight. <laughs> Sister, I really enjoy you. And, and Rick, Sister's got this like moral authority. She called me yesterday and said, Tom, it's time for me to come back on. What are you doing tomorrow? Let's go. And I'm like, yes, sister. Yes, sister. Okay. What time? What, what time? What time do I need to be there, sister? It was just like, oh, this is. I know sister, the you, feeling. Bob. You know that feeling. You get all that moral authority, oh, sister. You know you're both in charge. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing. I would say this. In my experience, um, so part of my awakening to faith as a young adult was through the Catholic charismatic renewal and this grace of the baptism of the Holy spirit. And one of the fruits is this longing for and willingness to express faith through praise and worship through full throated praise and worship. And that has been such a gift in my own life of faith. But when I bump up against folks who struggle with the renewal and this particular gift that is connected to the renewal. It's not only part of the renewal, but it would be that, oh, it's emotionalism, right? It's emotionalism. And and so anything that moves us into a place where we would be expressive of our own faith, all of a sudden we get a little nervous around that. And uh, I was listening to Father John Ricardo, and he used an example that I also love to use, which is go to your favorite football game. And when your team scores in an amazing way, some touchdown, everyone gently just claps their hands in the stands politely, right? No, no, there is a boisterous, full-throated, almost out of control praise of what just happened on the field, an acknowledgement of it. And no one thinks it's abnormal or weird. In fact, it would be abnormal and weird if you just sat there as a as a home team fan 
saw the home team do something that was stupendous and amazing. And you just sat there and responded with a flat face and demeanor. No, no, you're the one that's missing the proper response to what has just shown up. And I think that I love that Father Ricardo, you know, way of talking about it, that, you know what, there's, we need to recover. We need to recover what the liturgy of the hours is telling us, what our tradition is telling us in the scriptures, what we see in different streams of the tradition in different moments in history. And this is a moment when praise and worship is being used by God as an amazing gift to fan and to flame the faith of many. And so <clears throat> I love that Immaculate Heart Retreat Center is hosting this praise and worship evening. Great job, Rick. I think that is yeah. great discernment happening on uh, on Friday, June the 2nd, the first Friday in June, 6.30 in the evening until 8.30 in the evening. Um, so I'll, I'll pause there. Sister, you're like sitting on your hands. I've been, I've been talking too long. Now it's your turn. What do you want to say to any of all of what I just shared? Oh, I'm just listening and enjoying the fact that this word is getting out. And I'm thanking God that um, I'm a little astounded at my own uh, my own uh, resonation resonating with your words and Father John Ricardo, because I used to be a Catholic that always kept that very, uh, you know, more solemn understanding of, you know, scripture and everything. And it is the word of God. But if we don't allow the word of God to come alive and to um, emanate from us with natural things that God has given us, like emotions, movements. Um, it doesn't mean we have to dance up and down the aisles, but I've seen that happen. It doesn't mean that that's going to happen at Immaculate Heart, but it does mean that you can be more free to close your eyes and put your arms out and just love God and not worry about what is everyone going to think about me? How am I going to look weird and uh, you get to just praise God in the most beautiful way. Sometimes in spiritual direction, I'll say a prayer and I'll just say, Lord, we praise you. And then I'll have to stop because I'm busy praising him. And then almost infallibly, the conversation will go to, you know, I don't praise the Lord enough. And it's so uh, you know, I mean, we always think of the catechetical or, you know, that that uh, acronym A-C-T-S. In, in mass, we adore, we have sorrow for our sins or contrition. We thank the Lord and supplication or petition. So, you know, we want to make sure that our prayers are well-rounded and have all those aspects. But this part sometimes is missing from our prayer experience with God. And I think our teenagers would be so much more drawn in if they could move their bodies a little bit in praise and to hear music that is that draws them forward. One thing about Ron Larson, he has worked with multiple youth groups. And this is where I think you can bring your teens and really enjoy some praise and love God in a special way. And we don't care how many people are there. We're going to just do, we're going to pray with each other, if necessary, just uh, we, it, it, whoever shows up, shows up, you know, uh, if people want to give a $15 donation, that's, that's their call. Um, that's, but everyone is welcome. You can bring your neighbors, you can bring your friends, Ron's handling the deal. And we're going to let the Lord speak to us through the word of God and just praise him, worship him. And I think that this kind of prayer will actually bring us to a greater understanding of many of the words that we say kind of randomly and uh, routinely in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. Uh, so much of the Mass, I've given Mass retreats, and so much of the Mass is comprised of Scripture, you know? Uh, even the opening of the Mass is just so many, and people came up afterwards and said, I had no idea that came from Scripture. I said, yeah, St. Paul, this stuff is right there in the center of Scripture. And it can't help but come alive, I think, when this happens. I think people should come just for the experience, and especially if they're skeptical. <laughs> That's my little Eucharista challenge. Go ahead, Rick. Um, the, the, I love when you said that this isn't in competition, right? 
because uh, I love the like the rosary is so important to me. I try to pray it every day. And again, that's a that's a way to worship God and get close to God. And that just like our scriptures today, we have to meet people where they are. Um, when St. Paul says, I see that you are religious people in our reading today. Um, and and uh, Father Mike, um, who did mass this morning in his homily, he spoke of Pope Francis saying that we have to start meeting people where they are, because how do you get them to go further if, you know, it's like we want them to be at the top of the mountain without going to base camp and helping them up. And so I think praise and worship is a way for people that have a hesitancy or who is God. It's a way for them to come in and meet God where they are, because it's not about theology. It's not about intellect. It's because we are both intellect and emotional people. And if you look at the world right now, a lot of people just go by emotions. And so I think praise and worship is the way to connect people where they are. Yeah, that's a great point. I think about, um, I got my mind going in two directions here. So I'm going to quickly touch on both of them. Um, When I think about um, the, the reality of, praise and worship as a gift you've received outside of the Catholic church. It's so interesting because it's a kind of a truism that we don't want to be closed minded. We want to be open to learn from others. Right. But when sometimes when it comes to us being Catholic, we want to think that we have, um, we have, we have it all together and we really only have something to teach others rather than learn from others. Well, I studied John Paul II on interreligious dialogue. That's what I did my dissertation on. And he has a statement in there about uh, ecumenism. So now this is between Catholics and other Christians. And he said, we have to admit that at times they are separated brothers and sisters. We have to admit that at times they have done more with less. What a fascinating statement. We have to admit that at times they have done more with less. Now, what that does is it acknowledges the fact that we as Catholics have been entrusted with the fullness of truth and the fullness of means of sanctification, right? That's the gift that we've received. But they've also received something. They're baptized. They read the scriptures. They are seeking after the Lord and pursuing a life of faith. And so we can also benefit from them and the work that God is doing among them. And I would say one of those areas where at times they have done more with less is in praise and worship. And so I'm not afraid of allowing them to be a gift to my Catholic faith and doing so, guess what? In a fully Catholic way. Thank you, St. John Paul II. And to that, oh my goodness. And you know, so much in Vatican II was done to enhance our, uh, you know, what does Jesus want? He wants unity, but he does not want compromise. And this is an area where the Lord is calling us forward to do what we can. And when we see our, our, uh, our, our families who come to church with parents struggling to drag their sons and daughters out of bed on a Sunday when they have been tired. And, you know, there's so many, I, I've, we meet all kinds of different Catholics who don't understand that really mass is so vital and we cannot just skip mass on a Sunday, but to be able to invigorate our youth and our, our lay people with something that is additional, like you said, the addition, the complement to the mass and the sacraments, you can't get better than those, but how are we making that mass and sacraments the most, uh, you know, I, I was listening to a um, liturgical uh, conference or not conference, it was actually, all right, this is what, what it, it was um, a, a liturgical speaker. He was actually, uh, had written a book and I forget what the name of the book is, but he was being interviewed by Al Cresta and he, was commenting on how when we talk about liturgy, we think of uh, going along a political scale of liberal to conservative to liberal and who's going to win this time. And this it couldn't be farther 
it couldn't be further from the truth because what liturgy is, is closeness to what is being done in heaven. And if God is saying, shout for joy to the Lord and proclaim his praises and watch King David dancing in the street before the Ark of the Covenant, all of these wonderful things, I'm, I'm not saying we dance at church, but if we're not dancing in our hearts, uh, what are we doing? Are we just kneeling there and going, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's so sterile sometimes. And if you look at some of the faces of the people, they're, they're not alive with joy. They're not, they're not coming out of themselves. And, and it's not their fault most of the time. Mm-hmm. And I have to ask, what is our spirit of faith going into these things? I know I'm kind of jumping around a little bit here, but I'm just saying that when I heard that about the liturgy, I was like, oh my goodness, how many people understand that the liturgy uh, on earth is supposed to be replicating the liturgy of eternal life and what is going on right now uh, in heaven as reflected in the book of Revelation? Yeah, amen. Heavenly praise breaks into earth at mass, right? So that that a beautiful ritual established by Christ is an event through which heaven touches earth, breaks into earth, and we're drawn into heaven. And so that beautiful idea of touching heaven at mass and heaven breaking in at mass is is so crucial. Um, I know one of the weaknesses of our age is the separation between theology and spirituality. So you go into most bookstores, Catholic bookstores, and here's the theology section, and here's the spirituality section, two separate sections. And you end up having a lot of theology be very dry, abstract, highly intellectual, uh, and let's say sophisticated and nuanced, but far removed from accessibility to people's experience. But then you go to the spirituality section, and sometimes, and I think we're coming out of this, a period of this, where it, it is... Uh, highly focused on experiences and um, in introducing people into experiences. And so the interesting thing was, uh, I was reading a critique on this, right? This critique was like 50 years old uh, in, in an essay. And he was like, well, where do you put Augustine's confessions? Is that theology or spirituality? Uh, yes. Where do you put <laughs> Bonaventure's Life of St. Francis? Is that theology or spirituality? Well, well the answer is Yes. Right. So in, in our tradition, the great works of our spiritual development are also theological. And the great works of theology are also essentially spiritual and will help us grow in our spiritual lives. It's a modern or contemporary weakness that we have to overcome. And I think that's part of the reason why there's this hesitancy or a sense of foreign and awkwardness around engaging in a form of prayer that is expressive in a bodily fashion, expressive in a fashion that utilizes the uh, the passions, the emotions uh, in our lives, because we're so hesitant to think that that's going to run off the trail of our faith. And in fact, no, it's it's attempting to recover what has been broken apart as a weakness of our time. Wow, so true. And, you know, I think that this is where we are drawn into this mystery of how do we, I mean, uh, when, when, you, when you look at all of the different phases in the church, uh, all of the areas of dogma only came about when somebody crashed up against a truth and then a council was called and the truth was laid out and confirmed. And when we think about ways that we have experienced, even in our own lifetime, great shifts of how to worship God, there's phases that occur um, that uh, go forward and then like a pendulum, it swings over and then back again. And sometimes we miss out as a, as a group of people and it's hard to get a balance. Um, and I remember reading in the uh, uh, Forming Intentional Disciples by uh, Sherry Waddell, where she said she believed that, well, at the very end of the book, there was an appendix and they have Christ the King Church in Michigan, in uh, close to Ann Arbor or in Ann Arbor. And there was uh, that she believed there was such a great mix of 
kind of like charismatic and very solemn. You know, if you go into that church, you'll see, and I was there myself, but I saw, you know, the gold candlesticks and the beautiful icons, so expansive and wide and broad and the colors and the beauty of the, the, um, uh, the solemn yet very joyful liturgy. And she said, this is a balance of how the church can, can, can do this. And the choir was bombastic and the people were on their feet. And it was just so glorious. It was truly something that seemed to me to replicate heaven in a very beautiful way. Mm-hmm. But it's also something that if we don't see this all the time, not to blame anyone, but to perhaps get together and have a beautiful event like this where we can worship God in a, in a most uh, triumphal and at the same time praise, worshiping, adoration, thanksgiving, supplication, ask our most deep petitions and perhaps hone into an identity of ourselves that we've never understood because we've never worshiped God in this particular way. Well, if only there was a place to go to have an evening of praise and worship, Rick, what do you think, right? This coming up in a couple of weeks on Friday, June the 2nd, 6.30 until 8.30 in the evening. It's at the Immaculate Heart Retreat Center in Spokane, Washington. Again, if you're watching the uh, this as a video interview, you'll see it on your screen, Immaculate Heart Retreat Center, ihrc.net, ihrc.net. And then you just go to the events tab and then you'll get right to the evening of praise and worship coming up on Friday, June the 2nd. There is a $15 donation that is gratefully accepted but not required. And that's being led by Ron Larson and Sister Mary Eucharist is going to be there along with Rick McLean. I want to end with some theology. Uh, so theology of praise and worship I think about the choirs of angels, nine choirs of angels. The second highest choir of angels are the cherubim. And what distinguishes one choir from another is their very essence. Their very essence is different. All angels, even though they're all created spirits, pure spirits, uh, they're all distinguished from each other by their mission, by the reason for their existence. And the cherubim were created to praise. That's their identity. What's a cherubim? A cherubim is one who is on fire, praising God, holy, 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 praising God from from all eternity. That's why they exist, to praise. And they're the second highest choir of angel. And you think about it, when you join in an act of praise and worship, you're connecting with the work of the second highest choir of angels, the cherubim. Now, They're only surpassed by the seraphim. And the seraphim, you probably know the sister, they were created not to praise. They were created to gaze. They were created to be in silent adoration, silent worship, gazing with love upon the divinity of God. And these two are intimately connected. I have found this. Do you want to go deeper into your adoration of the Lord? Do you want to go deeper into your contemplation of the Lord in adoration? If you want to, one of the ways to do that is through praise. Praise gives way to gaze. When you praise God, it clears away the obstacles. It washes away the concerns. It wipes out the the worries And it allows us this space where the Lord is at work, drawing us into silent adoration. So I have found again and again and again in my life, not only as a spiritual practice where if I'm engaging in praise and worship, I find that adoration comes more profoundly and extensively, but even in the very times of praise and worship, at evenings of praise and worship, that you'll have times of of amazing praise give rise to a silent adoration before the Lord. My goodness, that's so remarkable. The um, cherubim also carry God, according to one of the understandings of the cherubim, and the seraphim 
love him. And that's part of the gaze is, and actually that gaze is contemplative. That's why that's the highest action we as humans can do, according to Aristotle, pre-Christian. And he knew that to contemplate the unmoved mover is the highest, the very highest activity a human can be called to. Mm -hmm. I love that. And this is our call to do that. And I love how you said that this is this praise and worship will enhance this when we are, our, our quiet times will be more quiet and our praise will then expand our hearts more as we continue the praise and worship. And then, you know, we got to mix it up sometimes. If we always do the same thing, we're never going to build new synapses to expand our minds or our hearts. So we've got to be able to uh, take these opportunities when they come. Yeah. I'll, and I'm going to give you the last word, Rick. Uh, it feels like to me, my own discernment is that in the moment in which we live, praise and worship is a part of, or an expression of this movement of God where the Holy Spirit moving in power is occurring. And praise and worship is a part and parcel of that move of the Holy Spirit today to awaken and invigorate Catholics. And so that's why I believe evenings like this Friday, June the 2nd evening of praise and worship at the Immaculate Heart Retreat Center is such an important thing. Last word to you, Rick. Yeah, I just believe that we're all unique and that God creates us all in such a unique way, but he also speaks to us in our uniqueness. And so just as I've been caught up at mass and where I've wept, I've also been caught up in praise and worship where I just felt the presence of God so strong that I was just in a state of euphoria almost. And so I know that the Holy Spirit works in many ways. We limit the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit is endless. Now you're talking so, about you and sister, not me, right? No, <laughs> we limit the Holy Spirit. Not, uh, I'm not limited. <laughs> oh, I had to end on that. Come on now, sister. Oh, All right. Oh, well. Yeah. All no, right. And did you, yeah. And did you want to tell them about the adoration and um, mass? Oh, just real quick. Uh, Tom, starting July 9th, we have a full-time chaplain now at Immaculate Heart Retreat Center, Father Max Olivia. And uh, starting on July 9th, we are going to have confession and adoration at two o'clock and then a mass uh, at three o'clock in the afternoon. And it, what, what I want to, I want people to stay in their parishes and it's not to compete against parishes, but in those difficult times, those moments where you need a just to break away from the routine. We want you to be able to come and walk the beautiful grounds here. And it's going to be a- Afternoon of reflection. And a tenze- A tenze mass with candlelight. With candlelight. And then we'll have Gregorian chant playing during adoration. And so we encourage everybody to look at that too as well. That's beautiful. Thank you. That's Rick McLean. He is the executive director of the Immaculate Heart Retreat Center, along with Sister Mary Eucharista joining me today in the program. Thank you both. Thank you, Sister. Thank you, Rick. Thanks for being with me today on the program. Thank, Thank you. Tom. God bless, God bless. you.